Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. As we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. If you are using the, the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 815. We've been looking at the, the book of Ephesians and viewing the church through spiritual eyes. That we would recognize what is taking place. And as we have come into chapter 4, the first three chapters really are dealing with the doctrinal foundation for the practical application in chapters 4 through 6. And so as we sang Dr. Davis's song and uh, the emphasis, and even as Pastor Dave read what he, Dr. Davis had written about that last stanza and the importance of the church. You know, it's often easy to jump into the practical and what does the Bible say about marital relationships and child rearing and the spiritual battles. All of that is under the umbrella of the church that we really do need one another in these areas and the importance of that and, and the importance for our personal growth and then encouraging the growth of one another. Recently, uh, Judy and I had the, the opportunity to watch uh, the four grandchildren of our grandchildren, Kimberly and Christopher's kids, as uh, Christopher and Kimberly were in Alaska ministering. Uh, we had the kids for 10 days it was a busy time in our house, especially for my wife and for Caitlin as she was also helping. You know, we were reminded that raising children takes a lot of time, effort, energy, and care. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to have your kids when you're young, uh, while you still have energy, and while you remember where you put them down in those car carriers. <laughs> it's important. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, but it was an enjoyable time. And to watch them grow, one of the joys of having them close is the ability to watch them grow and see the, the strengths, the weaknesses, the needs. Uh, I, you know, my wife and, and daughter were very busy. I, I would go home in the evening and that's when I found myself spending time with the kids. Uh, I read a lot of books that I have not pulled off the shelf in a long time, at least not for my personal enjoyment. And, and having them close was an, a, a delight, watching them grow, to see the physical growth, to see their personalities developing, uh, to become aware of that. You know, that is a joy. But our goal in, with our children and grandchildren and with others' children is to see them come to maturity. You know, the maturity comes, and as that comes is the ability, the willingness to contribute to the family, to be able to help out. Not to just be served, but to serve others. And with that family ability, they're making choices and decisions that hopefully reflect the core principles of our family. And in doing so, it leads to greater unity. The same thing is true with the church, with a church family. And the unity of the church is really what we see spoken of in Ephesians 4. And we've been considering this over the past several weeks to see the outline of that. The, the first three verses are speaking of the essential 
attitudes, if we, if we wanted to say the graces necessary for unity, that, that we're to walk in lowliness and gentleness, with, with humility, with gentleness, with, with long-suffering, with patience toward one another, and, and all of that is based on an attitude of love. Then we saw the foundation or the ground of unity, the, the seven ones in verses 4 through 6. In understanding that there is, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And the emphasis on all in verse 6, and then it switches in verse 7 to the uniqueness of the individual. And so we considered that, that every one of us is gifted by God, by Jesus Christ, through his victory for the purpose of serving in the local church. And so we have the, the diversity of gifts, but un unity in one focus, in one passion. And all of this is because of the victory of Jesus Christ, that he conquered sin and death and Satan, that he as the conquering king returned to heaven and gave gifts. And we considered that last week. That he seated far above principalities and powers, mights and dominions. That's what chapter 1 verse 21 tells us. And when he gives those gifts, they're given for a reason. The reason is that we would grow to maturity. And so the final verses of this section are dealing with that growth into maturity and the unity of the body. And what I want us to consider this morning is that your spiritual gift is entrusted to you by Christ so that you will grow to spiritual maturity personally and then be involved in serving others practically within the local church. That's the reason that's expressed in these final verses of the opening section of chapter 4. The gifts that are given are for our maturity, spiritually and morally. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. I'm going to begin back in verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 16. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be perf a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, as we consider the Holy Spirit-directed truth, we pray that we would apply it personally. Help each of us to be striving to grow in Christ-likeness, and that we would uh, apply your word practically, that it would be demonstrated in our body for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Your spiritual gift is entrusted by Christ to you with the purpose that we would mature. 
And that maturity then is seen in serving. I, I find this section of Ephesians to, to really be essential in ministry philosophy. And that's part of why I've taken time as we've gone through this. That uh, as, as in my philosophy of ministry, there's about a, almost a dozen statements that I try to operate by personally. And many of those are found right here. That, that we would be God-centered, Christ-exalting. That, that our, our ministry would be word-driven. And that there would be a unity in faith and in practice as we serve compassionately. All of those we find right here. And others. Last week, I, I briefly mentioned the gifts that are listed in chapter in verse 11 and and talked about those and we're not going to rehash that but i wanted to point out a couple of things i I trust that we noticed last week that that it's interesting that normally when we read of the gifts that christ gives for service and when we read that in first corinthians when we read it in in romans we we tend to focus on the gift that is given that grace that is given for the purpose of ministry But what we notice here is interesting because it's actually the people are the gift. He gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That the gifts are the individuals as they have been gifted to serve. And I think it's it's fair for us to derive the point that Christ works through us as individuals. That he has given each of us gifts and then given us to the body so that we would serve faithfully. So we can't just say, well, that's not really my gift or I don't have to worry about mine or somebody else can do it. No, he's given us for that purpose of service. And and I find that amazing because we, we realize God uses fallen people saved by grace who are still struggling and growing. None of us have arrived and God uses us to serve him. That is his mercy and grace. That is the amazing relationship that we have. And and when we understand that, that ought to be the spirit motivation, the joy that, that God would see fit to use us. And there's no fault or failure in our life that catches him off guard. He knows our weaknesses better than we do. And he still uses us. Now, I also think it's important, and we pointed this out last week, to see that these particular gifts, the ones that are mentioned here in Ephesians, are all focused on the proclamation of the Word. Now, we've already read in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, there are other gifts, the gifts of ministry, of service, of mercy, of, of, of giving. But the gifts that are highlighted here are the proclamation of the Word, the the apostles and prophets who were foundational to the early church that I believe those gifts have ceased but when Jesus talked to his disciples in the upper room he told them that the Holy Spirit would guide them into the truth well we have that recorded truth and that's why in Colossians it said read this letter the and then read it in in Laodicea and that letter over here it's it's getting the word out the importance of truth being shared that the gospel was given, the Holy Spirit revealed truth to the apostles, to the prophets. The evangelists went forth as, I believe, missionary church planters, winning souls and establishing churches and seeing the gospel go forth. And then the pastors and teachers that instruct in the word. We, we can't miss this centrality of the word for evangelism as well as the establishment and edification of the church the local body of believers. 
And the local churches are the visible manifestations of the body of Christ. So the responsibility then is for those that are given, and in particularly in these gifts, to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's verse 12. The idea of equipping speaks of supplying what's lacking or fixing what's broken through the ministry of the Word. And that's really why we come together to say, okay, where am I lacking? What does God's Word give me that I need in my spiritual life? Or, or what's broken that needs to be fixed? So that all of us would ask the question, am I faithfully serving? Well, how do I know my gift? Well, are you surrendered? Present your body a living sacrifice. That's where it starts. Where, what, where do you see needs? What areas of sensitivity do you have? Boy, that needs to be taken care of. Well, you're seeing opportunities. Now, what provides satisfaction? What delights you? What excites you about ministry? We don't all have the same interest. And, and where are you serving? You know, where are you involved? And ultimately, then, are you maturing? Because as we grow, the strengths, the abilities, the opportunities become more evident. We see that with our children, that as they mature, as they get older, we see their, their strengths and weaknesses. We see where they excel and where they struggle. And all of this is important because Christ is the head of the body. That's verse 15. We also see it in chapter 5, verse 23. Well, if Christ is the head, then he deserves a body that is appropriate for the head. He deserves a Christ-like body. And so our responsibility, our goal, our, our objective ought to be to grow in Christ-likeness because we are the body. And so we have to mature spiritually, morally, relationally, and in our passion for serving Him. You know, just because somebody grows older doesn't mean that they mature. And so the key aspect is that we have to be applying the Word. One of the key reasons for failure to grow and mature is a failure to hear the Word. In fact, we see this in Hebrews chapter 5. In verse 11, it says that you have been become dull of hearing. And then verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. They need to start with the basics again. And you have need have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, that is, mature, the idea here. That is, those who, by reason of youth, have their, use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, the point in, in Hebrews was, look, some of you should be at the point of maturity but you're not. There's nothing wrong with needing the milk of the Word when you're a babe in Christ. And, and that's part of it, and growing and getting into the Word and growing. But there ought to be, that ought to be a stage that we're progressing beyond. And the author of Hebrews is writing and saying, look, some of you should be teachers, but you're still needing the first basic principles. So we see in Hebrews as well that emphasis on growing up. You know, it's, it was past time for some of those recipients. So how do we recognize spiritual growth in our lives? I think there's several things that are given in this passage that I want us to consider this morning. Spiritual maturity is characterized, first of all, by not being spiritual children. As, as Hebrews says, as go beyond the milk of the word because that's a lack of skill. The skill comes as we make right choices, what we already know. 
our exer- we exercise our senses to discern good and evil. So when I know what's right, I do it, and I get more understanding. And that's what's being brought out. But, but spiritual children have several characteristics, and we see that in this passage. Number one is children are unstable. They are tossed to and fro. One of the things in watching our grandkids, and especially our, our youngest who just turned one the other day, was she's not real stable. She can stand up and hold on to things, but there's always that concern, is she going to, to fall? And we celebrated her birthday the other day, and she was sitting on my lap, and, and there was, the kids were bouncing a balloon around, and she's really interested in that balloon, and I'm thinking, you have no idea how quickly you could fall. And so I have a handful of shirt in my hand. Because children are unstable. Well, spiritual children are also easily knocked off balance. And that's why we need a spiritual family to kind of grab onto our spiritual shirts and say, no, you don't want to go that way. No, that's not the... And and there are a lot of ideas out there that are dangerous. But those who are spiritually immature can be captivated and knocked off balance by bouncy and shiny things that are going around. Children are also, secondly, easily distracted. They're carried about by every wind of doctrine that blows across the Christian airwaves. You know, it's easy to distract children. And, and you know, that's part of the fun. You know, with, with Chloe, uh, when, when I'd come home, I often was carrying her around. I got to carry her more the, in, in the last week than I think I had in her life. And, and she, would, she usually had this little blanket that has a giraffe on it, and she dropped it. Well, rather than me bending down, I just held her upside down so she could pick it up. <laughs> so she picks it up, I lift her back up, and she thought, this is a great game. <laughs> so she picks it up and drops it again. And so I do that again. And, and it's like, this is wonderful for her. Now, I, I learned when I had my own kids, you don't do that after supper. <laughs> so then when she would do it, I'd take her all the way down. But we'd do this and it's like, okay, this is getting old for me. So I would wait and when she was to go to drop it, I would catch it and put it behind my back. And she'd be looking on the floor. And I would just turn around holding it behind my back and just keep going in circles until I finally decided I would drop it on the floor and let her pick it up. But she was easily distracted. You know, young Christians, spiritually immature people are easily distracted. Oh, that caught their attention. Oh, I'm going to go over there. And, and it's easy to, do, to distract, unfortunately, when the doctrinal winds blow across the church landscape. There are some people who will, they will just lock in on something. And it's like, look, it's out of proportion. You're, you're making it a bigger issue than Scripture does. And we need to keep the main things the main things and understand. But there, understand, these are the theological battles that took place. In our, our names class, we talked about how the theological battles of the early last century were really against people who were trying to modernize doctrine to make it more palatable to the church. And so they, they downplayed the, the bloody death of Christ. They, they minimized the deity of Christ. They really wanted, they wanted the truth to be so acceptable to a sophisticated scientific community that, that didn't understand how the virgin birth could happen. You know, trust the science, that can't happen. Or that was rejecting six-day creationism. And so they tried to change the doctrine. 
And, and there was a real battle that took place. Now, I would say a lot of that battle has taken place already. But the move today is to modernize the practice, to, to make it more palatable to a culture that rejects Christ. And so how often do we see the emphasis on entertainment rather than edification? You know, having fun supersedes a growing faith. And it's easy to distract. Oh, look over there. Oh, look on the floor. Let's find this. You know, the problem is when the church that does that, there, there's, a, there's a minimization of the commitment that is taking place in the church. Somebody made the comment, the churches that are least demanding are the most in demand. And the, the feeding of meism and consumerism that really hinders our growing into maturity. You know, we, we need people that can help hold on to our shirt and help us not get distracted. That as a church that we're coming together to grow spiritually, that the responsibility of the church is to feed the sheep, not amuse the goats. That's why we're called. Feed the flock of God. That's the admonition to pastors. And, and we can have activity without edification. I appreciate so much the commitment of Tri-City to the Word to encourage one another to grow because children can be unstable and distracted. The third thing is children are gullible. That they are, they are moved about by the trickery of men. Folks, we have to be on guard. Just because somebody talks about God or mentions Christ doesn't mean that they're a Christian. In fact, just because they're a preacher doesn't mean they're a Christian. And just because a book is sold in a Christian bookstore or on a Christian website doesn't mean it's a good book. Christian book distributors, are, they're, they're selling books that will sell. That's the purpose. And if somebody says it's Christian, they'll put it out there. There have been some really bad books that have come out under the Christian guise. Well, how do I know? Know the Word. Don't be gullible. Don't be easily distracted. Don't be unstable. Now, years ago, I had a young man that, that really got enamored by a certain preacher. And so I, I listened to some of those pastor's messages. And, and I became very concerned because he was a very good communicator. And he actually had some pretty solid things to say doctrinally. But he mixed them with things that were vulgar and profane. And I thought that form of syncretism is condemned in Scripture and very dangerous because some of what he's saying was very good. But you can't mix the poison of the world with the truth of the Word and think that's healthy. And that man ended up being removed from his church. And, but not before he did a great deal of damage to a lot of people. See, we must mature so that we aren't gullible. And the fourth thing that we see is children are undiscerning in the crafty, cunning craftiness of deceitfulness. Ephesians is saying, look, here are the marks. Don't be spiritual children because these things can take place. Now, sometimes with a child, if they, if they have a dime, you can say, well, I'll trade you my shiny nickel because it's bigger. Well, it is in volume, but not in value. But how many Christians end up trading their spiritual dimes for shiny nickels because of a lack of discernment? And understand, this was Paul's warning to the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, he called for the church leaders and he warned them saying this in Acts 20 verse 29. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will arise speaking perverse or misleading things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you night and day with tears. He said, I've given you the counsel of God. I've given you the word. Folks, we all have to be students of the book. You need to take what is said from this pulpit and put it through the grid of God's word. And that's one reason I try to take you to the passage and say, here's where I'm getting this. Because we need to know the Word of God. Paul had said, I've declared the whole counsel of God. And we gain stability, we avoid gullibility by being grounded in the Word. It's the Word that provides that stabilizing influence. Those who are grounded in the Word are going to grow into maturity and not be spiritual children. But then the second thing that we see is that they will also display spiritual maturity by communicating truthfully in love. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love... We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. The unity that comes as we know the word, as we know doctrine. You know, when the word is taught, when it's heard, when it's applied and obeyed, it brings stability, it brings maturity, and it brings unity. In fact, if you look back at verse 13, that's what it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to be perfect, that is, mature men or individuals. The word faith in verse 13 is not speaking of the exercise of faith. It's speaking of the content of the faith. I I think it goes back to verse 5. We have one faith. Now we see that faith that we're to come to unity around the faith. So as we grow in the knowledge of the truth... We develop a clearer understanding of the content of our faith, and that brings unity. We we often hear the comment, well, well, doctrine divides, but love unites. Well, yes and no. Doctrine divides truth from error, light from darkness, sheep from goats. But it brings a unity to the body. It's actually the sound doctrine that provides the basis for biblical unity. If we don't have biblical foundation, then we just have a superficial unity. That we have the same interests or same likes or we come from the same area. Or, and the unity of the body is Christ. And, and doctrinal ignorance is the cause of disunity or of a superficial unity. And that's why we can have different positions but still have unity because we have one passion and that passion is what verse 13 says, the knowledge of the Son of God. And the knowledge here is really of a love relationship. As Paul said, they may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. I want to know Him experientially. Or as he's prayed in in verse 3 or chapter 3 that they would be increasing in that knowledge. Or as John 17, 3, this is life eternal. And when when the Bible says this is eternal life, what comes next is really important. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God through Christ alone. So in in Ephesians 1, 17, it tells us that the spirit of wisdom comes in the knowledge of him. 
Therefore, it's important that we present Christ clearly and compassionately, but we're to speak the truth in love. Truth and love are joined together. They're, they're not on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're, they're brought together. In fact, the actual word here, the idea is truthing in love. It's, it's communication that's more than just speech, it's life. That we, we communicate the truth in our lives and in a loving way. H.A. Ironside was once asked, what is the best translation of the Bible that you have found or that you've ever read? He said, the best translation was my mother's. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, my mother could, couldn't have written a Greek word or translated a Hebrew phrase to save her life. But she knew the Bible, and she applied the Bible and lived the Bible so that when I saw her life, I saw the Word. She was truthing in love. One commentator said, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. You know, if we're truthful but unloving, we can do a lot of damage. Well, I told him the truth. Yes, but there wasn't a heart of love. If we claim to be loving but fail to speak the truth, we're really being hypocritical because we're actually putting our relationship above their relationship with Christ. And that's not biblical love because Christ is the answer. If we indicate that our relationship matters more than their relationship with, with God, that's wrong. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, spiritual maturity is characterized by no longer being spiritual children and then truthing in love. And the third thing we see is that we are then to be growing in Christlikeness. Grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. Christ is, he is the model for all of us. You know, sometimes little children will say, well, you know, they'll say to a parent, when I, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. As spiritual children of the Heavenly Father, we should look to Christ and say, I want to be just like you. Because he's the head, he deserves a Christ-like body. And, and that really ought to be our state, our desire. Now realize, none of us are going to reach that state of sinless perfection in this life. I know there are some people that teach that. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think Paul believed that. We are, we are growing. We're, not, we're never going to be sinless. But we can grow. And that ought to be our goal. And if somebody holds that sinless perfection, I'd love to talk to their spouse <laughs> or their children because <laughs> I'll bet they don't believe in sinless perfection. <laughs> but understand that Christ is the head, so he needs a body that is appropriate for who he is. He deserves that Christ-like body. So if you are the eyes, is your gaze Christ-like? If you are the ears, is your hearing pleasing to Christ? If you're the tongue, is your speech what honors Christ? If you're the hands or feet, are your actions advancing the purpose of Christ? That we can examine, have we presented our bodies a living sacrifice and yielded our members as instruments of righteousness? Because that's what the head deserves. And he will give us the power. And, and when body parts aren't being controlled by the head, that's a serious problem. In the physical realm, if, that, if that's happening, we, 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 doctors will look and say, okay, is there some type of a physiological or neurological issue here? In the church, it's a spiritual problem. So our desire needs to be that he would be honored and glorified. And that there's then the measure of growth. 
You know, there are all sorts of measurements for infant development. There are length and weight percentile charts. There's the measure for head circumference. Pediatric doctors have tables that mark the milestones by how many months they are and child development in the areas of motor skills, speech, vision, hearing, socialization. You know, when did he first hold his head up? You know, when did she start smiling? You know, when when did she hold on to the furniture? When did she repeat words? When did she ask for money or the car keys? You know, (laughs) different, different times that these come along. And we would say there, there are appropriate steps and developments that come with age. And, and we recognize that. And we ought to want to grow. We ought to want to go forward, not backward. I heard of a, a woman who was having her birthday and her husband said, you know, what do you want? She said, I want to be eight again. So he started planning. And on her birthday, they got up and he took her out for pancakes and then, then took her to an amusement park and went on all the kids' rides again and just had a great time. And then they went to McDonald's and then they went out for pizza and, and, and finally ice cream sundaes with, you know, all of the extra toppings and sprinkles and, and finally got home and she was just exhausted. And her husband said, so how was it being eight again? And she looked at him and said, what? So you said you wanted to be eight. She said, I meant dress size. need to know what the goal is. There ought to be maturity, and it's according to verse 13, it's the measure of our, of our spiritual and moral development. The measure of stature, the fullness of Christ. So, how are you doing? How are we doing as a church in developing spiritual wisdom and vision? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Or do the things of the world really have our attraction? Wow, that's what success is. No, success is finding God's will and doing it. Are you endeavoring to find the Father's will and do it? As we looked a couple of Sunday evenings ago, as, as we're looking at Jesus working with the disciples, and, and, and they came and said, well, we've got food. And he said, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, well, did somebody give him a snack? And he said, no, my, my food is to do the will of my Father. He said, do you know what motivates me? doing God's will. Does that motivate us? Do we get excited? I want to serve the Lord. I mean, in what percentile would you place yourself on the, the growing in Christ-likeness chart? You know, when babies, we, we, well, they're in this percentile or this percentile in weight or length or whatever, how would we measure our spiritual stature against Christ? Because he's the head, he's the one that we're to model ourselves after. And it really, the mature person here is speaking of the church. Now, obviously, it applies to each of us individual, but it applies to us corporately as a body. So, the fourth thing we see then is that spiritual maturity is characterized by serving for the edification of others. Because we're a body, each one doing his or her part doing what is necessary in a relational aspect that every joint supplies what is necessary. See, spiritual bodies are unique just like physical families are unique because of the pieces, the gifts that God gives to the church and the intricacy of the body will advance the work of Christ. So when a body doesn't function as a whole, there's a limited mobility and it creates joint pain. There's something every joint is to supply. And that's where our our goal has to be. We want to see Christ thrive 
through the ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church. So how do we do that? Well, I would say we need spiritual diet and exercise. And let me just give some bullet points that I think can help us and examine our lives in these areas. The diet and exercise for spiritual maturity is, number one, we have to have the right appetite. We have to feast on the Word. You know, children don't always choose the, the most nutritious food. You know, last Sunday, our, our grandkids were with us, and uh, we were sitting at the table, and I won't give names so I don't embarrass him. Um, <laughs> but he wasn't really interested in, in lunch. And when we asked about it, he had had a snack at church. And we said, well, you need to eat your food. This, and he, well, his sister mentioned, well, we have VBS tonight, and, and they have ice cream sandwiches. And so in his mind, it's like, I'm not going to ruin my appetite for an ice cream sandwich. And, and the, so the more nutritious food groups were not of interest to him. He could hold out till VBS. And so I told him, I said, look, you don't have to eat, but you can get down and go to your room for rest time. I said, but I want you to know when we go to church tonight, I'm going to tell the workers you do not get a snack. Yeah, it was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, not, no big deal. It's just I will tell them you don't get a snack. And I said, so you can go to your room. And all of a sudden, he started eating. And his sister said, he's only doing it because he wants a snack. I said, well, he should be doing it to obey. And he looked at me and smiled. He said, I'm doing it for three reasons. I don't want to go to my room. I want a snack and to obey. I said, you know, that's not bad. I laughed. I said, and actually, it's not wrong to obey when we do the right thing. There are benefits. There is a reward. When we obey God, there is joy in serving him. And I thought, at his young age, he's got some decent theology there. Now, I, I think we need to lead with obey rather than not go to my room and have a snack, but we'll get there. But do we really have an appetite for the word? Are you mo moving toward God's word or away from it? And if you're moving away from it, what are you eating that is ruining your appetite? Or what are you holding out for? What is your desire for the preaching and teaching of the word, of, of the truth? Do you desire that more than other things? Or it's like, you know, I, I've checked that box for the week. I'm good. Do we have a desire for the word or are the worldly snacks killing our appetite? You know, one of the things you find with little children, especially babies, you have to watch what they put in their mouth. We as spiritual babies need to be careful what we put in our mouth. Be careful what you swallow. As newborn babes desire the milk of the word, the pure milk that you will grow. We need to have the right appetite. Secondly, we have to have right, the right ambition. We have to strive to become like Christ. That, that is our goal. That's what we see in this passage. He's the head. We're growing up into the fullness of who he is. So he's the measure of our growth. Would we say that we're growing to be Christ-like men and women is that our desire? Is that where we're aiming? Now, I, I think it's important that we, we have, okay, what would the head want me to do? And I'm just throwing some ideas out because I want to encourage us. Because we all struggle in this area, in, in this world. The third thing is, I think, right attendance. The frequent gathering for the proclamation of God's Word. 
It's so good to have you here that we, we really do need to come together to encourage one another to love and good works. You know, one of, there is a blessing of being able to live stream our services for people who can't come. But it should never be the replacement that we won't come because we need to come together. So are you faithful in coming for the preaching of the Word? Is the gathering with believers and the teaching of the truth a, a priority in your life? Say, so, well, what, you know, what does faithfulness mean? You know, the real question is, what would the head say? You know, I've, I've had people ask, I said, look, not everybody has the same schedule, same situation, but we ought to strive to grow in faithfulness. And we ought to say, Lord, what would you have me do? That's why I use the word frequent, because we, we need that. We need to encourage one another so that we would have that same desire and grow. And I would say a fourth one is we need the right assistance. Intentional investing in the body of Christ. This, this is why we have to come together. You can't make this happen online or watching your phone. Again, I think live stream is a great tool. We're, we're, we're seeking to try to do more to help in that area. It gives us a chance to, to uh, multiply ministry, but it's never a replacement for church. It's, and that's why when, when during COVID, when we were only online, I never called it doing church online. Because the church has to gather. It's a tool that we can help those and, and advance ministry, and it's, it's valuable in that. But we have to be careful that we don't allow it to replace what God's plan is. A disconnected body doesn't function well. And, and that, as I said, there's a difference between I can't come, and there are some that are probably watching today that cannot be here because of health, distance, whatever the reasons, situations, their life circumstances. But that's different than I can't is different than I won't. So what would the head have us do? I think these four areas of our appetite, our ambition, our attendance, and our assistance, or our eat, grow, meet, go, however you want to put it, are brought together and again emphasized in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, the admonition is given in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of your, ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you think the day of Christ's return is approaching? So do we need to come together less or more? Well, what would the head suggest so the question for all of us is are you maturing in your spiritual stature we're either going forward or we're going to be falling backward there's not going to be that middle ground and it's a danger for all of us no matter how long we've been saved or how mature we may be if we're not growing Satan is looking for that opportunity to get an inroad into our lives it's time for us to grow up. If you're here without Christ, step one is trusting Him as your personal Savior. But as, if we know Christ, then we're to grow. Press on to maturity. And then encourage one another to love and good works that as we come together, you encourage me in my spiritual walk. I trust we encourage one another because that's the purpose of the body of Christ. Let's bow for prayer.